And I'll take, get you to take your Bibles, go to the book of Exodus. The book of Exodus. And uh, in the last couple of weeks on the Sunday mornings, I was been preaching on uh, the two crossings. And we talked about the Red Sea and the Jordan River. And those are the two crossings that each one of us as believers have to cross in our lives. The, the crossing of salvation and knowing you're saved, then also the crossing of consecration, of committing our life to the Lord to walk by faith instead of by sight, instead of by feelings. Um, with this whole idea, as I've been thinking about it and studying through um, uh, Israel, and I've been thinking about them for years, and I've been spending a lot of time reading through them. I've preached through Exodus before. But the Lord just kind of gave me a, a certain insight this last time around, and I'm sure there's stuff I'm missing here, but uh, a certain way the Lord is leading me in it, um, how that you get saved, and then there's the will of God for your life. But just like with Israel, there was Egypt, and there was the promised land. But the thing is, there was space in between. And I think many times for believers, the reason why we don't get into the will of God for our lives and, and know that we're doing the will of God is because of this time in between. We're missing it. We're, we're, not, we're not catching something here. And the first step we talked about already was coming to that place where we understand that we're saved and that the army has been defeated. The waters have covered over the enemy. Uh, I'm convinced that if I'm not secure in my salvation, I never truly will experience the will of God for my life because I'll never be able to trust him. If I can't trust him with my eternal salvation, how can I trust him with my daily life, <laughs> you know? And, and so those two things are very important. But as we move on from the Red Sea, what we're having is a lot of things that God does. Now, we know he could have brought Israel to the promised land in a very short time. They could have been there within the period of 11 months. And they could have been there and enjoying it and so forth. But the Lord knew some things. Now, one of the things the Lord knew was, and that the children of Israel didn't, is that when they got to the promised land, there are battles. There are things that you have to face that, that are going to be very difficult. And so the Lord knew that if he brought them straight to the will of God and what his calling was for their life, that he knew that they would turn back and they would quit on God. And so the Bible says that he chose to rather bring them through a different way. And that was the way through the Red Sea and around the wilderness of Sinai, then back up again uh, to the wilderness of Sin and then Kadesh Barnea. And that took approximately about three years to get there. And so within that three years, the Lord began to explain some things to them and teach them some things that was supposed to prepare them for the promised land. But what took place is they went through those lessons, they got to the promised land border, and they didn't apply those lessons by faith to their life. And so when they saw the giants <clears throat> and they saw the walled cities, they said, hey, you know what, let's go back. So the Lord nailed it <laughs> right from the start. He knew that if they would have gone there right away, there would have been no question. But now the Lord was, the Lord is basically, um, um, his argument is proven that because they refused to go in three years later with all the lessons, that of course, if they would have gone straight in, they would have failed right off the bat. But you know, now the Lord basically stands innocent because basically what he did for Israel was give them everything they needed to know was given to them within those wanderings. And it would have been enough for them to make a decision by faith to enter into the promised land. But it still wasn't enough for them because of their heart. And so what I want to do, and I don't know how I'm going to do this uh, over the coming year, I want to take some few lessons and, and give you some lessons on lessons from the wilderness. And I want to explain to you what this is about today in Exodus chapter 6, verse number 1 to 8. Now this is before they left the land. In fact, this is before the plagues were even introduced. Uh, they didn't even know God yet, Israel. They didn't have a clue who this is that Moses is representing and trying to get them delivered. So what took place is God tells Moses, go to the Pharaoh 
and tell him to let my people go. Well, the Pharaoh says, I don't know your God, and I don't know you. I don't know what you're trying to do here. And so, no, I'm not going to let them go. In fact, he did worse, where he actually increased the burdens of the people, took away the straw for the bricks, and said, now you have to make the same quota that you did before, but now you've got to work twice as hard to get it. Now, what's this going to do? Well, to Israel, it says, Moses, what are you doing here? <laughs> you're making things harder for us, not easier. And folks, <laughs> this is so true. Because within the context of doing the will of God and preparing for it, you may think it's just an easy ride. That somehow that you're going to make a decision to go forward for God and the, the way is going to be paid before you. No obstacles, no problems. But I'll tell you something. The moment you decide to become free is the moment the devil reacts. Now, a lot of people, they, re, they respond to that, that friction by just saying, okay, hey, Moses, stop. Whatever you're doing, just stop doing it. So Moses is confused. He's saying, God, didn't you tell me to go to Pharaoh and you were going to do this great thing for us? And here, not only is that not happening, but now the very people that, that I'm supposed to lead out are turning on me. They're turning on me. So this is God's response. I love it. <laughs> Exodus 6, verse 1. Then the Lord said unto Moses, Now shalt thou see what I will do to the Pharaoh. For with a strong hand shall he let them go, and with a strong hand shall he drive them out of his land. And God spake unto Moses and said unto him, I am the Lord. Now that's capital L-O-R-D. And it goes on to say, And I appeared unto Abraham, unto Isaac, and unto Jacob, by the name of of God Almighty. But, but, by name, but by my name Jehovah was I not known to them. So this is an important statement here. Because what he's saying is, Abraham, Isaac, which are the forefathers of Israel, I appeared to them, they believed on me, but there's an aspect of who I am that even Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob did not know. But by the time I'm done, with these people, they're going to know who I am, that I am Jehovah. And that's important because when Moses was in the wilderness and, he, and the burning bush spoke to him, he says, who are you? And he says, I am that I am. He was revealing himself as the all-powerful one. In fact, the word Jehovah means self-existent. You know, today when you came to church, there are a lot of things that weighed upon your your being here. One of them was that your car started. <laughs> Another one, you had to kind of convince your family, okay, let's good to go to church, let's go. <laughs> you know, I don't want to go to church. There, there's so many different things. The weather, all of a sudden the snow falls. Uh, you know, I'm sick. There are so many things that are around you that control you. And that's what the devil does. <laughs> he uses things to control you. But Jehovah is self-existent. What that means is this. There's never anything for God that hinders him. There's no scientific law. There's no obstacle. There's nothing that keeps God from being God or doing what God does. He says, that's who I am. Now, that's important because we many times, we judge God by the way we look at ourselves. Well, we judge God by the way we judge, <laughs> you know. I always tell people, the people that judge you, they're always judging by their own standard. So if they're always saying, that pastor, he must take money from the offering. <laughs> he must put some money in his pocket. Now, I don't think like that when I look at a pastor. But some people do. You know why? Because that's where their mind is. They judge. And the Bible says that unto the defiled are all things defiled. And unto the pure all things are pure. That means to someone that's defiled, you can never tell them the right thing because they'll always filter it through the way they judge you. And even though you say, hey, I never thought of that, or I'm not doing that, oh yeah. <laughs> it's hard to convince somebody who's been defiled in their thinking that somehow you are not the way they think you are. Because that's just how corrupt we are. <laughs> but God, 
God, there's nothing that hinders him. There's nothing that taints him. There's nothing that he filters through. (laughs) He sees it for the way it is. Amen. And he wants us to see it that way as well. But but my name Jehovah was not known to them. And I have also established my covenant with them to give them the land of Canaan, the land of their pilgrimage, wherein they were strangers. So you notice on the heels of him talking about him being Jehovah and the people are going to learn who I am as far as Jehovah is concerned, that the result of this is going to be me fulfilling a covenant that I made with them through Abraham. So this is what he's doing. He's taking them out of Egypt. He's bringing them into the wilderness to teach them who he is, Jehovah, so that when they get to the promised land that was promised to them, they'll walk right in and take it because they know that their God is not dependent upon anything. There's no giant too big. There's no walls too high. There's no situation too terrible. There's no thing that can stop our God. If he tells me to do it, it's going to be done. I have faith in that. I'm going in. Amen. But the reason why we're not going into the promised land is because of our view of God. Our view of God is tainted. We have our own idea of who God is. And that's the problem. And God says, I need to first and foremost show the children of Israel who I really am. I am that I am. So all these lessons that we're going through in the wilderness is basically God showing the children of Israel, this is where you fail, but this is where I succeed. This is who you are, but this is who I am. And you know what? It's hard for us. It's hard for you to think the way of God, the way that he wants you to think of him. And we're going to look at an example of that today. And I think it's going to help you. It says, and I've also heard the groaning of the children of Israel, whom the Egyptians kept keep in bondage, and I've remembered my covenant. Wherefore say unto the children of Israel, I am the Lord, capital L-R-D, whenever you see that, it's talking about Jehovah, and I will bring you out from the, under the burdens of the Egyptians, and I will rid you of their bondage, and I will redeem you with a stretched out arm and with great judgments. For I will take you to me for a people, and I will be to you a God, and ye shall know that I am the Lord your God, which bringeth you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. And I will bring you into, unto the land concerning the which I did swear to give it to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, and I will give it to you for an heritage. I am the Lord, capital L-R-O-R-D, amen. I am him. So if I were to read that and believe who God is, I'd walk away from that conversation saying, guess what, guys? We're going to be removed from the bondage. We're going to be redeemed. We're going to go to the promised land, and we're going to experience all the fulfillment of God's promises for our lives. But that's not the way we go. (laughs) Is he really going to do this for me? Or not only that, well, you know, why would God care about me? No, we we always think that God cares about somebody. Oh, God is loving. Sure, God is love. And he loves everybody, but he just doesn't love me. And we've got our minds tainted towards our God. (laughs) And that creates bitterness. That creates a heart issue. And it's amazing that one of the first things that God deals with as he brings them past the Red Sea is the bitter hearts of the people. And that's what we have to deal with. A bitter heart does not enter into the promised land. It cannot. It will not. Many people, the bitter heart got themselves deceived that they're in the land when really they're just wandering. Their lives are just wandering. Year after year after year. Folks, that's a pretty sad state of living. (laughs) You know, the Bible says, this life is but a vapor and appears for a little time and it vanisheth away. I would hate to know that the one opportunity I have to walk by faith, to do the will of God by faith. Think about this. By faith means that I don't see the end except the way that God has revealed it to me in his word. 
there's a time where it won't be faith anymore. You're going to see God. It's going to be great. I'll give you that. But you will have no longer an opportunity truly to please God. (laughs) For without faith, it's impossible to please him. There's little vapor, little vapor of time. I have this opportunity now to believe God by faith and please him. I can squander it, wander in the wilderness, or I can take the steps forward trusting him with what he said in his word and believing that he's going to follow through. That's the difference between a Christian that wanders and a Christian that goes into the will of God. Now, I'm not saying if you're not in the will of God that you're not saved. There's a lot of saved people that will never do the will of God. I'm convinced. A lot of them. And you've got to say to yourself, that's not me. <laughs> I am not going to be one of those. I'm not going to be a wilderness wanderer. And if I'm in the wilderness today, because maybe I just got saved, maybe I've, just, maybe I've been saved for 10 years, but I've never learned a lick. Nobody's ever taught me anything from the Bible. I never understood any of these things my whole life. And so basically what you're saying is, I'm starting here, and perhaps you are in the wilderness. And it's not necessarily a bad thing to be there, but it's a bad thing to stay there. You understand that? Because the wilderness is where you learn. This is where you're going to learn what you need to know to get into the will of God for your life. All right? So let's go up to... Exodus chapter 15. And I want to bring you to our first lesson after the Red Sea. So they saw the waters cover the army. They sang the first song recorded in Scripture. Because joy of your salvation doesn't come from you just being saved. It comes from you knowing that you're saved. Amen? So you can be saved... And you're still waffling because you got bad teaching, because whatever, you're, you're struggling with yourself, you have no joy. <laughs> Amen? The joy comes, the song came, not when the blood was applied to the doorposts in Egypt. The song came after they crossed the Red Sea, after they saw the army destroyed. <laughs> Amen? And that's why Moses said, fear not, stand still, and see the salvation of the Lord. Amen? See it. And many Christians today don't see it. Well, I've asked Jesus to come to my heart. That's all they know. <laughs> then you ask themselves, well, what happens if you would do this or that? Well, I don't know. And you have no idea of what your salvation really means. <laughs> what victory did it actually give you? <laughs> you know? My goodness, friend, I tell you today, I am born again. And I'm born again, and because of that, I know there's not a thing in this earth, heaven, hell, above or beneath, that's going to take that from me. And that brings joy to my heart. You understand? That's where my song comes from. When I'm singing Rock of Ages, that's where that song comes from. And if you're singing those songs, they don't mean much to you, then it's maybe because you're still struggling with your salvation. Amen? Deal with it. 50 kilometers past the Red Sea, They're wandering. We know they're immature. We know they've been delivered. We know that they have the joy of the Lord. Hey, great. You guys remember when you got saved? You were so excited. How long did it take for you to lose that? (laughs) Usually not very long. It takes a very short time after you get saved and you get all bubbly about it. All of a sudden, reality of the world sets in and gives you a good wallop across the side of the head. And you lose your joy either through sin, through whatever it is in your life, whatever it may be, but you lose your joy. So they're wandering 50 kilometers away from the Red Sea. They've just seen the great victory and their enemy, enemy being destroyed. Exodus 15, verse 23, it says this. And when they came to Marah, they could not drink of the waters of Marah, for they were bitter. Therefore, the name of it was called Marah. And the people murmured against Moses, saying, What shall we drink? And he cried unto the Lord, and the Lord showed him a tree, which when he had cast into the waters, the waters were made sweet. There he made for them a statute and an ordinance, and there he proved them. And said, If thou wilt diligently hearken to the voice of the Lord thy God, and will do 
that which is right in his sight and will give ear to his commandments and keep all his statutes, I will put none of these diseases upon thee which I have brought upon the Egyptians, for I am the Lord that healeth thee. So what did he tell you? By my name Jehovah, they have not known me. So now he's saying, I am the Lord, Jehovah, that healeth. And that's one of his names, which we call Jehovah Rapha. The Lord is our healer. So they need to know this. Before they can get into the will of God, they needed to know that the Lord was able to heal them in their heart of all the issues that they've gone through. Folks, I don't know about you. Now, maybe you were three years old when you got saved. <laughs> four or five, whatever. Three is pretty young. But you can't, I've heard people saved at four, five years old, six years old. And I don't question that. I mean, if you're saved, you're saved. Amen. But sometimes you go through a period of life and you go through all kinds of sin, you go through all kinds of issues, and then the Lord saves you. Now, you've been hurt. You've gone through things. Sometimes even after salvation, you've been hurt and gone through things. And what that does is create bitterness in your soul. So the Lord immediately, after he saves these people, after they see the, the victory of their salvation, says to them, I want to show you that I can heal you of your bitterness. Heal you of your heart's problems. Amen. They just spent 400 years in bondage. Whipped, killed, treated terribly. And you can, you can carry that with you. You carry that, the Lord says, you carry that with you, it's going to destroy your life. You've got to let me heal you of that. Amen. And by the way, destroying the Egyptians didn't do it. That didn't heal them. Amen. What heals it if you allow the Lord into your heart to heal you? Folks, just because that person abused you when you were young, if that person would die today, guess what? You would still go on hurt with your bitterness. There's nothing you can do by changing that person that's going to change you. <laughs> because the pain that you're experiencing today has nothing to do with that person that hurt you. It has everything to do with how you're processing that hurt from that day forward. It's your decision. Amen? So the Lord is bringing you to a point where you make a decision. <laughs> because if my bitterness would be dependent upon somebody else doing something to me, then I'm in bondage till the day I die. I'll never be free. But the Lord says, no, no. I am the Lord that healeth thee. So I can be free. <laughs> Amen? Well, what needs to take place for me to be free? Well, that's what he's trying to tell him here in this passage. And so, Jehovah Rapha, if they will see me as Jehovah Rapha, they will know that I am the Lord that healeth them. And they won't go through life angry, bitter, because your anger is based on your hurts. Your hurts are many times based on you not getting your way. You not getting your way. You don't understand, they did this to me. And guess what? It was out of your power. Whose power was it in? Well, I don't know, but <laughs> that's the problem. You don't see God in your life. You understand the hardest things you've gone through in life, if you will see that God was there and God allowed it for a reason, you can be free today. But if you don't see it, <laughs> I don't care how many self-help books you read, I don't care how many psychologists you see, Folks, the only way to get free of bitterness from the past is when you look back there, do you see God in it? And if you don't, you'll never have freedom. Because where there's God, there's peace. No God, no peace. I don't care how many pills you pop. <laughs> well, I'm going to deal with myself here. Well, you're numbing your brain, but I'll tell you something, it's not going to fix your heart. It's not going to fix your heart. You've got to let the Lord heal you. Amen? And this is the first lesson of the wilderness. So the bitter waters. Notice this word, bitter is the word Mara. So they even called the waters after the name Mara because the waters were bitter. Notice Israel, of course, they responded typically the way Israel does. 
and they began to what? Murmur. Murmur, 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 murmur. The way we do it. Who do you think? No, we don't come in the church like that. We don't come in the church. No, we wait till we get home behind the closed doors. We're smiling here. We got our suits on and we're as spiritual as you can get. But I'll tell you, when you get home behind the closed door, that's who you are. That's who you are. That's the real you. <laughs> Amen. Not the one you showed the preacher. Well, some of you, the way you show me, you are the real one. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> well, I'll tell you something. It's not, it's not who you pretend to be here today. It's who you are when your murmuring takes place. That's, that's the man <laughs> that's showing I don't trust God. That's the man that says, how dare this person? That's the offended person. That's the one, great peace have they which love thy law, and nothing shall offend them. Well, obviously, I don't trust the word of God. Murmur, murmur, murmur. I'm offended. <laughs> you're offended, and you're not right with God. How dare you, preacher? Offended? You got to learn to hear some things. <laughs> the problem is, a Christian comes in church, they want the preacher to do this to them. Just tickle. Tickle me, preacher. I've had a hard week. Tell me what I want to hear. You've had a hard week. How about we let the Lord tell you what you need to hear? And it probably is not going to tickle you. <laughs> probably going to whack you between the eyes. <laughs> Amen. And if you're not going to handle it right, I'll tell you what you do when you go home. Right? You know, you don't do that. Just I do that. <laughs> right? No, no, you do it. This reminds me of a woman in the Bible by the name of Naomi. You remember her in the book of Ruth? During the time of the judges. This is an interesting story. And go there, go to Ruth, and I'm going to go through a couple of verses here. I'm going to show you a couple of things about bitterness. Ruth 1, verse 1, it says this. Now it came to pass in the days when the judges ruled that there was a famine in the land and a certain man of Bethlehem, Judah, went to sojourn in the country of Moab, he and his wife and his two sons. Sounds pretty harmless. Not very harmless. Remember what happened when Abraham decided to go to Egypt <laughs> when he was supposed to stay in the promised land? They were in Bethlehem, Judah. Bethlehem means the house of bread. Bethlehem is where Jesus Christ was born. Bethlehem is where David would be born. Bethlehem was a good place, but they left Bethlehem to go to Moab. Now, where's Moab? Who is Moab? <laughs> well, Moab just happens to be the grandchild of the man called Lot. And Lot had that grandchild by his daughter. It's called incest while he was drunk. And I'll tell you something. This was not a good decision. Now, why did they do this? Because there was a famine in the land. And it only makes sense that if there's a famine, I just run away from where I am and go find something else where there's no famine. Because the grass is always greener over there, and it's not here. It's funny that wherever you go, all of a sudden it's a famine. <laughs> Amen. See, until you learn to live through a famine by trusting in God, you'll never truly walk with God. And that's the problem here. He took his family and he left Bethlehem, Judah, the house of bread, and went to Moab, a place of heathen God worship and idol worship and so forth. They left the house of bread for a heathen land due to the famine. So times of affliction, times of pressure put us in danger of making decisions that will lead us into compromise. Happens all the time. I see it. I have people come to me, Pastor, this is what I feel I need to do. And I'm sitting there. <laughs> I want to tell them, don't do it. But I prayed about it, and it's the will of God. It's funny, people pray about things. I had people, I had one person, they started attacking me verbally and even cursing while doing it. And they said they did that because they prayed about it. I prayed about this, so, blah, 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 blah. <laughs> woo, <laughs> uh, your God is not mine. <laughs> My God will not tell me to do what you just did. In fact, I think your God is not God at all. 
In fact, I think you are your own God. Amen. They have the right background. Elimelech, who's the dad, his name means my God is king. <laughs> my God is king. But when famine comes, I'm running. <laughs> you know, Hey, I'm a Christian. I'm a good Baptist. But I'll tell you, when something goes wrong, I'm out of here. That's what we do. We hightail it from trouble and pressure. We run away from situations because we think everything's supposed to go smooth and go our way. And that's why you're an angry person. An angry person is angry because they don't get their way. It's like a child in the sandbox when they don't get that truck that they want from the other one, they get all mad. And it's not enough just getting mad in the heart. They take some sand and throw it in the kid's eyes. And they hurt the other one because I want that truck so much. Amen. They're not happy with just being mad. They, they need to show you that they're mad. I need to show you how displeased I am with you. Amen. Because you have taken away what I want. That's the way we are with God. We're mad at God because his way is not our way. You understand? The reason why you got an anger problem is because you want your own way. Period. It's that simple. <laughs> the reason why I get angry sometimes is because I want my own way. I'm trying to put myself in the same playing field with you. It's not just you and us and them. We're all in this situation together. <laughs> Amen. My God is king. They knew the God of Israel, but they didn't trust him in the time of trouble. So what took place here? Verse number three. And Elimelech, Naomi's husband, died, and she was left and her two sons. And they took them wives of the women of Moab. Yikes. <laughs> you know, this could turn out bad. But you know, there's a good God. He could change things around. The name of the one was Orpah, and the name of the other was Ruth. And they dwelled there about 10 years. And Malon and Chilion died, also both of them. And the woman was left of her two sons and her husband. Very interesting. He got the husband taking his wife and two sons away from Bethlehem, the house of bread, into Moab, because there was a famine in the land. When they got to the place that they thought was better, they all died. Didn't seem better, amen? Probably wasn't the better move, amen? So Naomi returns to Israel, goes back to her homeland. She returned to Bethlehem, but believed, this is what she believed, that the Lord's hand was against her. The Lord doesn't love me. He's against me. Verse 13 his daughters, her daughters-in-laws wanted to go with her. And they said, no, we're going to go with you. And she says, nope, just stay here. There's no hope of you hanging around with me in Bethlehem. Just stay here in Moab. <laughs> what a crazy decision. Goes on to say, would you tarry for them till they have grown? Talking about the, providing them a husband. Like, I can't provide you any more husbands here. I mean, that period's over. You come with us, you're not getting another husband. You're going to be alone. Would you stay for them from having husbands? Nay, my daughters, for it grieveth me much for your sakes that the hand of the Lord has gone out against me. Her daughter-in-laws wanted to go with, but she tried to convince them to stay in Moab, not thinking clearly that Moab was idolatrous. Their lives would ultimately be wasted in Moab. She was so bitter. She was so convinced that God's against me in her bitterness, she tells her daughters that she had an opportunity now to help and to bring into the house of bread to stay in Moab. Because she was so consumed with her own hurts, her own problems, that she didn't consider what her daughters needed. One of them stayed, Orpah. Stayed behind, never hear of her again. I'm sure later on, Naomi probably regretted that. But Ruth, there's something special about her. Verse 16, she says, And Ruth said, Entreat me not to leave thee or to return from following after thee. For whither thou goest, I will go. And where thou lodgest, I will lodge. Thy people shall be my people, and thy God, my God. She was a good lady. She had a personal faith in this God of, of heaven. She didn't even know him. 
but she knew it was real. She knew there was something real here. I'm going with you. Naomi said, oh, well, whatever, <laughs> whatever, <laughs> you know. When they got back to Bethlehem, Naomi wanted people to call her Mara. Verse 19, it says, So they went to until they came to Bethlehem, and it came to pass when they were come to Bethlehem that all the city was moved about them, and they said, Is this Naomi? She said unto them, Call me not Naomi, call me Mara, for the Almighty hath dealt very bitterly with me. (laughs) I went out full, and the Lord hath brought me home again empty. Why then call ye me Naomi, seeing the Lord hath testified against me, and the Almighty hath afflicted me. That's her idea of God right now. God is against me. I'm bitter. I'm angry. There's no hope for me. I didn't want my daughters to come with because I'll probably destroy their lives because I'm so bitter. And God's not with me. (laughs) She's missing something here. Naomi could only see the negative in her life, and this changed how she spoke to people. She, you know, she could have just said, yeah, it's Naomi, I'm back. (laughs) Why call you not me Naomi? Call me Mara. My goodness, man. (laughs) You know, this lady had some emotional problems. What she was going through personally was changing the way she was speaking to people and revealing herself to them about who she was. I am Mara. This is what happened with the people of Israel when they went to the, the bitter water of Mara. And the people murmured against Moses saying, what shall we drink? Why why you bring us here to die? We're just going to die here. 50 kilometers in, we're already dead. (laughs) They saw saw 10 plagues. They saw the the, the, the the Red Sea open up before them. They walked across. God destroyed the whole army. 50 kilometers later, we're all going to die. That is just like us, isn't it? We would just go back and look at the goodness of our God (laughs) and what he has done for us. Half of our garbage would be gone. Do you find yourself complaining to yourself or to others? This is probably because you're not taking responsibility for your decisions. So important. You know, I understand we get led to all kinds of places and because of those places, we're brought into all kinds of trouble. And much of that trouble is self-inflicted. Amen? Not all of it. Joseph, he got sold into slavery and so forth. Not self-inflicted. Amen? And sometimes you go through things. The Lord just says, this is what I want you to go through. It's not self-inflicted. I'm just choosing this for your life. It's beyond your power. Submit. Like the Apostle Paul, thorn in my flesh to buffet me, to keep me from being proud so I can be a proper servant. He just submitted to it. But, you know, much of what we do is not take responsibility for the decisions we've made in our life. And that's because you're not seeing the Lord the way you need to see him. See, they need to see the Lord as the healer, not as just the one that's against me. (laughs) Let me ask you this. What does that help you to think about God as the one that's just against you? What does that help you? And if that's true, then why don't you do something about it? We say, Lord, why are you against me? I'm willing to get right. You know what a good, proper attitude before the Lord every day is to say this, Lord, if there's anything I've done that's not right, I'm willing to get it right, Lord. Do you understand how freeing that is for your soul to be willing to get right no matter what it is you've done to get it right? But we are so full of excuses and reasons, but you don't understand. They did this to me, so that's why I'm doing it to them. Well, they may do it to you, but that doesn't make it right for you to do to them. You understand that? It doesn't justify your actions by how bad someone's been to you, that now you can be bad to them. It's not right. So you need to get right. Have you ever had to say sorry to someone that have hurt you, and you went and said sorry to them knowing that they hurt you worse than you hurt them? And yet when you said you're sorry, you didn't say, but, I'm sorry, but, if you would have done that, have you ever just gone to them and say, I'm sorry for what I did, and leave it there? Even though they are guilty of sin, 
even though they are wrong with God, even though they're against God himself. (laughs) There's never an excuse for being wrong with God. There's never an excuse for having sin in your life, no matter what has ever happened to you. Never an excuse. It's just another proving time. And so, perhaps you feel that your journey has brought you to a place where it is a bitter situation. Maybe you feel the Lord is against you as well. Maybe you came from a broken home. Maybe an abusive relationship. Maybe sinful choices that you maybe are still reaping the effects of that in your life. Maybe you've been betrayed by family. Maybe you're in a home that's unloving. There's no love there. Maybe you've lost a loved one, like Naomi did. She lost three people. Maybe you lost a good job. Maybe you lost a career. And all these things have left marks on your soul. And the first thing the Lord says is, if you want to get into the promised land, you got to face the bitter waters of Mara. you got to ask yourself that. Is that you? Well, what do I do about it? The tree. The tree. So Moses said, and he cried unto the Lord, and the Lord showed him a tree, which when he had cast into the waters, the waters were made sweet. (laughs) There he made for them a statute and an ordinance, and there he proved them. Trees. Trees in the Bible are very important. In fact, most major Bible characters have a tree associated with them. In John 15, verse 1, it says, I am the true vine, and my father is the husbandman. Talking about wisdom in the scriptures, it says, She is a tree of life to them that lay hold upon her, and happy is everyone that retaineth her. First Psalm, it says in verse 3, And he shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that bringeth forth his fruit in his season. His leaf also shall not wither, and whatsoever we do shall prosper. You know the oldest things on earth today? Guess what they are? Trees. God made it that every tree has a birthday and he makes a little ring around them. Every year he adds another ring to show you that they are the oldest thing. You know, the, you know, the, you know how old the oldest tree on earth is right today? Somebody tell me. Okay. Are you sure? About 2,200? Okay. I know one thing, you'll never find something any older than 4,000. <laughs> they found some petrified trees, they counted 4,000. You know, because that's when the flood came, by the way. You understand? Major Bible characters had trees. Noah had an olive branch. Abraham sat under the yokes. Moses had the burning bush. Joseph was referred to as a tree in the scripture. Zacchaeus climbed a tree. <laughs> the blind man saw trees as walking. The disciples gathered at the Mount of Olives and the church is grafted into the wild olive branch because we're a wild branch. First tree we really hear about is the tree of life. The Bible says, the fruit of the righteous is a tree of life and he that winneth souls is wise. Trees represent growth, they represent provision, they represent beauty, they represent protection, they represent prosperity. How many of you have ever done a family tree? (laughs) Trees have a root and they go from there and they branch off and they can keep prospering and they keep building and you keep adding. Tree's important. Jesus is a tree. Isaiah 53, 2, And he shall grow up before him as a tender plant, as a root out of dry ground. He hath no form nor comeliness of what we should, and when we shall see him, there's no beauty that we should desire him. Jesus died on a tree. 1 Peter 2.24, who his own self bear our sins in his own body on the tree, that we being dead to sins should live unto righteousness by whose stripes ye were healed. What's this tree that Moses is talking about here? This tree, it represents all those things. It represents the growth, it represents the beauty, it represents the the prosperity, the strength, and the protection. But really that tree is aiming at a specific thing, and that is the tree that Jesus gave his life on. That cross. The Bible says that the preaching of the cross is power to them that believe. 
That means if you believe in the Lord, when I preach on the cross, it is power to you. Whatever happened on that cross 2,000 years ago has brought power into your life. And so that's why we need to keep preaching the cross because there's in it things that give you power to overcome and to be everything God wants you to be, but you have to apply that tree to your life. So when they came to the bitter waters and Moses, God says, take that tree. And I don't know if the tree was planted. I don't know if he had to pull it out of the ground. <laughs> I don't know what was going on there. But all I know, it was a tree. It wasn't just a stick. It wasn't a twig. It was a tree. And he took the tree and he threw it into the bitter waters. You want to know how to get past your bitterness? You got to take that tree, cast it into the bitter waters. And if you don't, your bitter waters will never become sweet. You understand this? Some people think that bitter things can never become sweet, but they can. For we know that all things work together for good to them that love God and are the called according to his purpose or, and so forth. So the Bible says that your bad things can actually become good. And I think that your bitter things can actually become sweet. The things that you think are destroying you can actually become the things that build you. Amen? But that's only after you cast the tree into the bitter waters. Jesus, he became our substitute to bear our sins. Romans 5, 8, but God commended his love toward us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. In fact, in that passage where he says he bare our sins in his own body on the tree, the word bear means to carry up, to bring up, to lead up men to a higher place. I'm taking these sins off of you and putting it on me. And the Bible also says, if I be lifted up from the earth, I will draw all men unto me. And this he said, signifying what death he should die, the tree. So what he's saying is, when you apply the tree to your life, the sins come off of you and they are lifted off of you and I bring them upon myself. That's what he's saying there. 2 Corinthians 5.21 For he hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. What do you got to do to be righteous? To be righteous, you got to be free from sin. If you have sin, you're not righteous. Amen. So the Lord became your substitute to take all of, to bear all your sin upon himself so that you can have his righteousness. It's an exchange that takes place. So your salvation is based on you being right. Some people think it doesn't matter about sin in your salvation. Yes, it does. It really matters what you think about sin when you get saved. If you love your sin, you're not going to get saved. Or you're just going through a motion to pretend you're getting saved so you can feel better about yourself. But when you get saved, it's because you're convicted about your sin. And you know that your sin is bringing you to the place called hell, which is rightly deserved. And so you go to Christ because you know that he's the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. He takes it upon himself and he gives you his righteousness so that you can stand right before God. Amen? Not based on what you've done, but based upon what he has done for you. If you stand before God on your own righteousness, you're going to hell. You know that, right? The Pharisees went about establishing their own righteousness. Not good. The righteousness you need to present to God the Father when you get saved is the righteousness of his son. And if there's a little bit of you in there, but I did this, you're going to hell. Well, I understand Jesus did this for me, but, but I need to do this. You're going to hell. You've never trusted. You've got to get rid of that you in there. That I, middle letter of pride, get it out. There is no I in your salvation. The only I is, I received Jesus. That's the only I. I received him. I believe him. Amen. But there's no I did this. The power of sin over us has been destroyed through the cross. 
That's why it says in that passage in 1 Peter, it says, who his own self bear our sins in his own body on the tree that we, being dead to sins, should live unto righteousness. So because you have received Christ and because he's taken your sins off of you, he now wants you not only to trust in that righteousness for salvation, but he wants that righteousness to work and live its way through you. Amen. He wants it to work past your salvation. That's why in Philippians chapter 2 it says, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Work it from the inside out. Amen. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. How shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? Romans 6, 14, for sin shall not have dominion over you, for you're not under the law, but under grace. When Jesus died on the cross of Calvary, law was met. You know what the law said? You got to die. The law condemned you. The law said you're guilty and you're going to die. So Jesus comes with the cross, the tree, and says, guess what? I'm going to fulfill the law. And when you cast that tree into the bitter waters, you're saying, you know what? The Lord has dealt with this. The Lord has fulfilled this. This sin in my life, it doesn't have bondage over me. It has no dominion in my life. So if you're bitter, you've got sin in your life, you're handling your problem the wrong way, you're an angry person, can I tell you something? You never say, well, this is just the way I am. That's a deceptive thing that Satan has planted in your heart that is not you. I've heard people say, well, I'm just stubborn. (laughs) Well, no, your character is stubborn because you have sin in your life. But you're not stubborn as a person that God made you to be. In fact, you're opposite of stubborn. You're submissive. As a child of God, you are submissive. Amen? As a child of the flesh, you're stubborn. (laughs) So you can't run around and telling yourself, this is who I am, this is who I am, I can't do this, I am this. I'm. You're, you're labeling yourself, and that's what the world loves to do. The world wants to put a label and slap it on your forehead so you never change who you are. That's why I say be careful. When anybody wants to put a label on you or your children, well, I diagnose them like this. And for the rest of their life, They've got this thing planted on their forehead they can never get past because when they look in the mirror, that's all they see. Even AA does that. I'm not saying AA hasn't helped people. (laughs) Well, I'm an alcoholic. And every day, that's all they see. (laughs) Well, who told you that? Well, they just said it's a disease. (laughs) Well, if it's a disease, then it's something the Lord can heal you from. Amen? Amen? Do you understand that? The Lord healeth thee. Now, I don't believe it's a disease. I believe it's sin. And I believe it's an addiction. (laughs) And it's an addiction you can overcome, and I've seen people do it. I've grown up in a drunkard's home, and and he don't drink no more. He doesn't walk around with a label on his head. (laughs) It's right with God. Amen? That's the way it ought to be. Be careful of that. Cast the tree in the bitter waters. The water is not going to become sweet until you cast the tree in. Believe the victory that you have in Christ. But God forbid that I should glory, save in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by, by whom the world is crucified unto me, and I unto the world. I'm going to give you just something right before we leave here. Folks, about, about Naomi. Now, Naomi got home. She, Lord's against me. Well, go try to find some food, Ruth, or else we're going to starve to death. (laughs) Very positive here. And so Ruth did. And she went out and started gleaning some wheat from a certain field. And in that field, the the law would be that they, they couldn't take all the wheat. They had to leave the corners. And anything that fell down after they gathered it up and fell off, they were supposed to leave it for the poor to come along behind them and scoop it up. That was a law of the Old Testament. It's a good law, amen? And so Ruth goes and finds a field, stands in that field and starts gathering up the loose stuff. Now the thing is, 
this field belongs to Boaz. Boaz's kinsman to Naomi just happened to be in that field, and Boaz is also a picture of Christ. And so she goes in this field, and she starts gleaning, and then Boaz sees this, that this lady that's doing right and doing good and choosing the right God is, is doing, you know, doing what she can to feed her mother-in-law, and he tells his workers, you know, just when you gather it up, let a little extra fall. And so she'd be following behind these guys. She's, just, <laughs> she's going home. She goes home. Naomi says, I brought some food. Where in the world have you been? She probably thought, you're stealing? <laughs> you know? No, I, I, I went, and this is what it said. Her mother-in-law said to her, where hast thou gleaned today? And where rottest thou? Blessed be he that did take knowledge of thee. Oh, something is changing in her mind now. She's starting to see that maybe not all is bad anymore. Maybe somehow God is doing something here. <laughs> Do you understand? She left Moab. She thought, I'm defeated. I'm a failure. But didn't realize that the time of the year that she left was a time of harvest. The perfect time to go back to Bethlehem, the house of bread, the perfect place for her daughter-in-law to go gather the food just happened to be. Do you think God's hand is against his family? No. There's all kinds of consequences that follow bad decisions. But I'm going to tell you this right now. That does not mean God is against you. In fact, God has it in his heart today to bless your life. He wants to give you everything that you need. But you've got to return to the house of bread. You've got to make those decisions. You know, the bitterness of your heart, he doesn't want you to be there. But the Bible says if you stay there, he says, I'll deliver you to the tormentors. Which means he actually torments your thinking, your mind, because he says, until you get this right, I'm not going to let you rest. You've got no peace in your heart, and you're not going to have peace because I don't want you to stay this way. <laughs> he wants you to get better. So they go back to Bethlehem at the right time, the right field, the right man. And she says, blessed be he that taketh knowledge of thee, and she began to, begins to see that the Lord is starting to do something in their life. See, folks, you've got to get to that place. <laughs> you've got to cast that tree into the waters. You've got to trust that the Lord can heal you of this. Don't go on your whole life with that bitterness in your heart. Get rid of it. Deal with it. You know, when you trust the, throw the cross into the water, it's basically just saying, Lord, what do I need to do? Obedience. And that's what he says. I'm proving you. I want you to obey me now. It's hard to obey when you're in a gall of bitterness. But he says, if you'll obey me, I'll heal these waters. If you don't pick up the tree and throw it in, what does that mean? Well, the Bible says this. I'll give you one passage. We'll be done. Thank you for your time today. I hope this has been a help to you. It says this in Ephesians 4 verse 31. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. You know, that's a process. Bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, evil speaking. That's actually a progression. If you've got bitterness, it's going to reveal itself by the way you speak. So if you're already speaking evil, you already know you're bitter, you know you're angry, and you know that you're wrathful. Because wrathful people speak angrily of people. And so the evil speaking is a sign that you get a bitter heart. Amen. From the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh. Whatever's in there will come out there. You want to know what your temperature is? <laughs> That's all you have to do. How was your talking this week? Last night, what did you talk about? 
That's who you are. That's who you are. Oh, that preacher, he's telling me who he thinks I am. No, you're admitting it by you saying that. It's so important that you see what God is trying to tell you here. Let all bitterness, wrath and anger, clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. Malice is the desire to hurt people. Then it says, and be kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven you. The tree in the water. If you're not willing to do that, you're not putting the tree in the water. <laughs> he is saying, even as God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven you. And as he's saying this, he's seeing the Son of God suffer on the cross because of your sins. How dare you be bitter? How dare you be angry? When my son took all of your sin upon himself, when he suffered so greatly for you, how dare you? You look at that, that tree. You know, Lord, I've got no right to be bitter anymore. Obediently, you confess it, you take the tree. You throw it in the waters. Let it become sweet. <laughs> Some of the sweetest relationships you can have will be with people that you once hated if you apply the cross to it. See, that's what Jesus did for you. You hated him. You spit on him. You mocked him. Yet he took that precious tree and he died on that for you. So he's saying, take that tree, put it into your situation. Everything you're going through, go back to the cross, take it, put it into the situation. Well, I'm suffering. Look at how Jesus suffered on the cross. Well, my friend betrayed, look at how Judas betrayed Jesus. Well, people are selling me out. Look at the 30 pieces of silver. Well, they're threatening me. The Bible says that they threatened him, but he, he didn't threaten back. But he committed himself unto him that judgeth righteously. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. That's taking the cross, throwing it in the bitter waters. Amen. So she began to see that God is changing things. And ultimately, I'll give you this final passage. So Boaz took Ruth, and she was his wife. And when he went in unto her, the Lord gave her conception, and she bare a son. And the women said unto Naomi, Blessed be the Lord, capital L-O-R-D, which hath not left thee this day without a kinsman, that his name may be famous in Israel. Wow, just happened to be. And he shall be unto thee a restorer of thy life and a nourisher of thine old age. For thy daughter-in-law, which loveth thee, which is better to thee than seven sons, hath borne him. How many sons did she lose? She's five above. <laughs> she lost two. But these ladies are saying, everything that God is doing with you right now, that girl you got there, the one that you found in the land of Moab is better to you than seven. Amen. And Naomi took the child, laid it in her bosom, and became a nurse unto it. And the women, her neighbors, gave it, to it, gave it a name saying, there is a son born to Naomi. They gave her the credit. And they called his name Obed. He is the father of Jesse the father of David. The Lord's hand is against me. <laughs> Not so much. <laughs> Not so much. You may think your life is so bad. 
No, that's just because you're defiled. You're, you're looking through the filter of your own defilement, and that's why you can't see the good. <laughs> what you need to do is cast the tree into the bitter waters. No more I am Mara. I am now sweet. My life is sweet. God is good to me. I've got a great future ahead. I've got a restorer of my life. This child became someone that took care of this woman for all of her life. He was a restorer. He provided for her in her old age. You think, well, how's God going to take care of me? Take the tree. (laughs) Cast it into the bitter waters. Apply the principles of the cross to your life. Die to yourself. That's one of the principles. You got to stop living for you. (laughs) Start living for him. That's a part of the tree going in the waters. Amen. Let's bow our heads. Thank you for your patience this morning. Do you know the Lord, Jehovah, as your healer? As your healer? We've all gone through through hard things. You haven't gone through anything worse than someone else. I know you want to think that way, but it's not true. There may be somebody sitting next to you that if you would hear their story, you'd feel ashamed for complaining the way you are about your life, for complaining about your situation. Now, there are things that happen to you because it's out of your control. Let me just encourage you just to make the right choices. When things are out of your control, trust God, move forward. He's, he's building you. He's preparing you for the promised land. Now, maybe there's things happen to you because of the decisions you've made. <laughs> maybe you went to a Moab, should have stayed in Bethlehem. Well, you know what? Naomi did go back. And that was one of the first decisions that she made. And maybe today that's the only decision you need to make and say, Lord, I'm just coming back to you. <laughs> I know that where I am in my spiritual life is not where you want me to be. I am not walking with you. I don't know what you want from my life. I'm living for myself. I'm in bitterness. I'm angry at people. I'm complaining out of my mouth is coming things all week long, and I'm just sick and tired of it. Today, I want to take up that tree, and I'm going to put it into the bitter waters. I want to get past this. Is there something like that in your life? I understand. You can have people around you. They're the, they could be angry and not ready, but they do not dictate your victory. You can be a light in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation. It's nobody's fault but yours if you're suffering here today in your bitterness. Choose. Choose. 